You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Does that song get y'all fired up? It does me, man. Yeah, we can clap. That's good stuff. I mentioned this uh, last week to 11 o'clock, and I, I want to mention it to y'all this week. Um, I want to remind you, we're, we're going to get through this. Amen? Like, I know it can, it can come, which we got a pretty good group this morning, all things considered, but we can come in and feel like, man, where is everybody? Um, a lot of folks missing because of all that's going on, but the reality is we're going to get through this. And I'm really glad you're here this morning. Are you guys ready to study the Bible? I am. It's going to be awesome. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're continuing our uh, series called The Book. And this morning, we're kind of looking at 1 Samuel, uh, or 1 and 2 Samuel, but looking at mainly 1 Samuel 17. Did uh, anybody dress up for Halloween last night? Got some, some honest people. Yeah, I appreciate that. You, uh, you non-children raising your hands, not scared, not ashamed. Blake, did you dress up? That a boy, I figured you did, yeah. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah, well, one of the fun things about trick-or-treat and Halloween, whatever it can be, that even as an adult, it kind of brings this kid's spirit out in your heart, right? Like you're gonna get some candy, all those sorts of good things. I, our neighbors gave our children some dried apricots, which was awesome. <laughs> Richies. <laughs> um, but it can, it can be fun. It brings out this, this, uh, this kid-like spirit. And this is, I'm not gonna spoil anything for you, but it made me think of... Uh, the movie, which I, I was surprised at how much I liked it, but a recent movie, um, Mary Poppins Returns. I say recent, it's probably like five years old. I don't know. Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, Jim from The Office, his wife is Mary Poppins in it, so you can't go wrong there, right? Connection to The Office. But uh, in, at the very end of the movie, probably one of the best scenes in the movie, there, uh, all the good things have happened, so again, I won't ruin it, but uh, they're at this park for, I think it's like a uh, the spring is just starting at the park for this uh, big festival, spring festival. And Angela Lansbury is there uh, selling balloons. And I was going to try to use uh, my female British accent this morning, but my wife said she would boo me if I did that. And so she was like, literally, I will boo you and leave. And so, um, no, it, it's, it's pretty bad. But Angela Lansbury is there selling balloons. And she asked the dad, uh, his name, make sure I get this right, is... Um, Michael Banks. So in Mary, the first Mary Poppins, he's the kid, but in Mary Poppins Returns, he's the dad, the kid that's grown up now. He's the dad with kids. Um, and she asked him if he would like to hold, uh, she offers him a balloon. He says he hasn't held a balloon in years. He's like, I can't remember the last time I held a balloon. And she says, with my regular accent, she says, um, you've forgotten what it's like. And Michael Banks, the father, asks, he says, so tempted to try British accent, <laughs> but, but he asked, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. He asked, well, I for, you think I forgot what it's like to, to hold a balloon? And she says, no, to be a child. The point was, you've forgotten what it's like to be a child. Man, man what, a, what a cool line in the movie, because the reality is as we get older, it is easy to forget what it's like to be a child. And especially like, can, uh, pertaining to our faith, it's easy to forget what it's like to have childlike faith, to read the stories of scripture and be in awe of what God did. This morning, or so I guess uh, two weeks ago when I was thinking about what we were gonna study in First and Second Samuel, uh, the first thing that came to mind was David and Goliath because it's such a popular story in scripture. But I was like, that's too cliche. We're not gonna do that. And I started, I started looking at other stories in First and Second Samuel and I was like, wait a second. 
I literally don't remember the last time I heard a sermon on David and Goliath. Like it's been a long time because the children's ministry has hijacked David and Goliath. Like they have stolen it from us. So I'm here to declare this morning, we are taking this story back. <laughs> I'm being silly, but I'm serious. Okay. Um, my hope is that this morning, as we read the story of David and Goliath, that it reawakens that childlike faith and that we walk away emboldened because of this story. Amen? So what would it be like to see it with fresh eyes? I know you know this story, but you probably don't know this story. So I know this is a novel idea, but we're, we're gonna read the story. What? 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah and, excuse me, in Ephes, <laughs> no, no good way to say that. Ephes Damon. All right, verse two. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So just get this scene for a second. You've got, let's say Israel over here on the mountaintop and then the valley of Elah. And then over here you have the Philistines standing off for battle. And this is not like, I'm not hating on what we do today, but this is not like they're gonna go into battle with some drones or maybe we'll send some missiles over. The idea is to meet in the valley and go toe to toe Man-to-man, no zone coverage. Man-to-man, sword-to-sword, shield-to-shield. You're tripping over the bodies that fall around you. This is going to be a bloody battle. Verse four. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So this dude is over nine feet tall. So about my size, really, okay? Like, no. About nine foot, nine inches. Nine feet, nine inches. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. So what you do to get a coat of mail, you just go down to FedEx and you're like, make me a coat of mail. It's a bad joke, sorry. Should have went with the British London lady version. Anyways, all right. Coat of mail. So it's a coat of armor made of metal, or made of bronze, these bronze rings. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So just his jacket of armor weighs about 125 pounds. That's what I weighed when I was a senior in high school, y'all. Like, and that's his jokers. This is just his top half of armor. Verse six. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of a spear was like a weaver's beam and a spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. So the head of a spear, the part that impels you, weighs 15 pounds itself. Just the head of the spear. It'd be hard to throw that. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So this is Goliath shouting to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a, oh, sorry. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be his servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed 
and greatly afraid. Now the scene's gonna shift to a small little shepherd boy. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So for 40 days, the Philistines come up over here on the mountain. There's a valley in between. The Israelites are over here on the mountain. They do this 40 days, day and night. They come out, look at each other. Philip, Goliath yells all these mean things. They run and hide. No battle happens. Verse 17. Jesse said to his, David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses, this is, jokers like some cheese, to, to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines or really standing there scared. <laughs> And David arose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, by the way, champion. So Goliath isn't just tall. It's not just like, man, he's tall. He must win a lot. No, he's tall and he's won a lot of battles. He's a champion. The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. So again, bring me a man. I'll kill him. You can be slaves to us. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, hey, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Listen to this, this is crazy. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Man, so all of a sudden, you can imagine, that, that's a bold moment. So if the Israelites are over here, they're all scared. Like, oh man, have you seen that guy? He's crazy. And, and David's like, hold on, wait a second. Like, who does he think he is? <laughs> and you can imagine all the other soldiers like, who do you think he is? Just look at him. Like, would you look at that? Look at, look at him. He's, he's, he's huge. And David's like, no, nah, last time I checked, our God is a living God. Who does he think he is to defy our God? Last time I checked, God said he was our king and that he would conquer the people before us if we trust him. Who, who does this guy think he is? Verse 27, the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now this is interesting. You know, typically siblings, um, they don't get along. And if one starts to be brave, the other one begins to doubt them, right? Verse 28. Now Eliab, Eliab, sorry, his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those 
few sheep in the wilderness? That's, that's a dig at David, right? David, you're a little shepherd boy and you don't have that many sheep anyways, bro. <laughs> like, your flock is small, dog. <laughs> like, he, he's making fun of him. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've just come down to see the battle. That's all you care about. And David said, well, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away, so he ignores his brother, and from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Again, this is, this is, these are bold, word, bold words from Bra- David. Sorry, from Brandon. From David. Hey, don't let anybody be scared. I'm gonna go fight this guy. Verse 33. Saul, the king, said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're just a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David is not just a little shepherd boy. (laughs) Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David is trusting God with his future because he's seen how God has been faithful in his past, right? He's like, God's been faithful to me. These seem like small little battles, fighting a bear, fighting a lion, which is pretty epic. But God handled that. He's gonna handle my future. You read, or, so Saul says, hey, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> like, Lord bless you. <laughs> like, good luck, bro. You see, verse 38, I'm just gonna skip because of, of some good on time here. Um, verse 38, Saul tries to get David to put his armor on. It's too big. David's like, you know what? I don't need these. I just need a sling and some stones to take this dude out. I love the end of verse 40. It says that his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So a quick question, what is the text showing us? Who took the first step, David or Goliath? David did. Just imagine that moment. Like all the, the ranks are lined up and like you've got these pretty tall, like older, established, like Navy SEAL type frontline men. And then out from among them walks, like honestly, probably a guy my size are a little bit smaller at David's point in his, that point in his life. And David walks out. He's not, he doesn't have armor. He just got a slingshot. <laughs> I can almost like imagine the other, like the Israelite warriors being like, oh, let's go get some breakfast. <laughs> like this dude, this dude's, it's not going to work. Verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. So you can Goliath walks out there. He came with a shield bearer in front of him. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So <laughs> Goliath walks out, sees this little dude and is, is insulted that this guy is gonna try to fight him. He says to David, verse 43, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? <laughs> Excuse me, let's try that again. Am I a dog? <laughs> that you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, 
come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. So he's, David, I'm going to kill you and the birds are going to prey on your body. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, hey, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. They don't talk about that part with the, in, the, in the children's ministry, right? <laughs> and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly, so everybody watching, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. It's, a, it's almost funny to think about this. Like you got this massive man, this little guy, probably a little, little voice, right? He's like, I'm coming at you, bro. Right? And man, I'm sure he didn't talk like that, but, but like, to, the, to the average person watching, that's what it looks like, right? This big man, giant, literally. And little David, talking smack. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. That was quick. (laughs) So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, think how heavy it would have been, and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they gone. (laughs) So they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and at the, and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Man, you got this big buildup the battle actually happens and it's not even a fight, is it? One shot and, David, and Goliath went down. You can ima- I, I imagine like, of course they shouted and, and went and chased the Philistines. But I can imagine when it was over, they were like, man, I wish he would have showed up sh- sooner, bro. Like we've been out here 40 days doing nothing. One sling, one stone that he had to use took this guy out. Now here's, here's the reality. I believe this, this story is powerful enough, epic enough. We could just pray right here, close our Bibles, and we could, we could be done. But we're not gonna do that. Sorry, let you down there. Because there, there's three things we must not miss. I want us to see here. Here's the first. You don't need a position to be used by God you need a passion for God's glory. You don't need a position to be used by God. You need a passion for God's glory. Not a position, but a passion for God's glory. So 
This is what we call the difference in positional leadership and functional leadership. So at least in the eyes of Israel, who was the king? Saul, he has not a trick question. Like that's why David went to his tent. Why they look like Saul, I know David ha- had been anointed for sure, but um, positionally speaking, at least to the people in front of them, Saul was the king. But who was really the leader in this moment? David, right? For sure. Like David got the job done. David helped the people move forward. That's what leaders do, right? Help people get unstuck. <laughs> David didn't need a position. And technically he didn't have a position, but did he have a passion for God's glory? Absolutely. Listen, you don't need a label to be a leader. Some of you are, are waiting to step up and, and be a leader in, in God's kingdom and do different things in the church. And the reality is you're waiting for a position or a label and you don't need that. You need a passion for God's glory and God's gonna use you, amen? You could, I'll say it this way. God can use whoever he wants to accomplish whatever he wants, whenever he wants. This was the most unlikely hero and God used him. See, God delights in using unqualified, ill-equipped people to do the unthinkable. Why is that? Why does God delight in using unqualified, ill-equipped people to do the unthinkable? Because it shows how amazing he is, right? When God uses the little shepherd boy who honestly had, was a pretty bad dude, like killed a bear in line. It's not bad resume. But when God can use a little shepherd boy to take down a giant, it shows God's glory, God's power, God's goodness. God delights in using the unqualified, ill-equipped person. So, so don't underestimate how God can use little people who know they have a big God. Don't underestimate how God can use little people who know they have a big God. This is not an excuse to put off preparation, but it's a perspective to put off excuses. So this is not like, sweet, God wants to use the unqualified and equipped. I'm not gonna do anything and just see what God does. No, knowing that God can use anyone people who have a passion for his glory, regardless of their position, that should help you put off excuses to say, man, God can use me. God can use me. So the first thing we saw was you don't need a position to be used by God. You need a passion for God's glory. Here's our second one. Giant slayers aren't self-confident. They are God-confident. Giant slayers aren't self-confident confident. They are God confident. I think we can clear up some, maybe some misunderstandings around the story. If we walk away from this story, thinking about how awesome David is, we walk away with something different than David did. David never was like, Goliath, you may be big, but I've been doing CrossFit, dog. And I'm about to show you like, no. David did not have confidence in himself. He had confidence in God. He understood that God was the victor, not him. True confidence doesn't come from your ability, but rather knowing God is able to do 
anything. See, for, for David, as, you, as, you, as we read through the story, we saw over and over again, the issue was what God could do and God's glory. That's what, that's what mattered to David. That's where his confidence came from. Giant slayers aren't self-confident. They are God-confident. I think it's funny with this story. Like it's, um, if someone says classic underdog story, this is what they think of, right? Oh, it's a classic underdog story. I remember, uh, I think it was two or three years ago, um, I guess it'd be the AFC championship and the Jaguars were gonna play the Patriots. And it was like, oh, it's a classic underdog story. There was a really cool lead up to the, um, to the game and then the Jaguars lost and now we're terrible again. But anyways, um, which the Cowboys can kind of relate to that right now, unfortunately, right? Like, no offense, I'm just saying. What if the story of David and Goliath is actually not an underdog story. David did not think it was an underdog story. Like, you don't talk like that. Like him, I'm gonna kill you and the birds there are gonna feast on your flesh and everybody here is gonna know that there's a God in Israel. That doesn't sound like an underdog who's like, you know what, we're facing a giant, we can do this. He's like, no, I'm gonna take this guy down. Because, Goli- excuse me, David knew that Goliath was not fighting him. David knew that Goliath was fighting God. This was not an underdog story. See, the truth was that Goliath was the one showing up with a knife to a gunfight. He was taking on God, not David. Bold, daring faith begins with knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. See, that's what, that's what made David different than all the other however many thousands of men standing on the line day after day, was David knew that the, the battle wasn't about how strong he was, how big he was. He knew that the battle belonged in the hands of God. And because God is an almighty, powerful, living God, he was gonna bank on that. He was gonna trust that. That's why William Carey said, the missionary said, expect things, excuse me, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. See, when you know you have a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, can do anything, can use anyone anywhere to do anything, it leads to bold faith because you're trusting in him and not yourself. Giant slayers aren't self-confident, they're God-confident. Now, this, this third point, I honestly think is the most important. Like if we stopped, if we stopped right here today, It'd be some good takeaways, but it would be kind of a shame because this third point is the most important. I'm excited. <laughs> Here we go. I'll give you a second to write it down and then we're gonna unpack it. David's personal victory over Goliath points us to Jesus' permanent victory over every giant. <laughs> David's personal victory over Goliath points us to Jesus' permanent victory over every giant. I'm gonna say it one more time in case you're trying to write it down. David's personal victory over Goliath points us to Jesus' permanent victory over every giant. So here's the reality. Yes, David gives us a picture of bold, daring faith, of what can happen to God's people when they have a bold, daring leader. But 
ultimately, if you read First and Second Samuel, gotta include those since you're doing both together, right? If you read First and Second Samuel, you realize that David was a sinful person. He was a he was a messed up dude, actually. Like he had some issues, right? David, believe it or not, David eventually died. And when he died, the hope that he provided to God's people died with him. I don't know if you know, but it's kind of hard to fight giants when you're in a grave. That's what happened to David. But see, many years later, there was another man, the God man, who was born in the same town as David, Bethlehem. His name is Jesus Christ. And he would go on to fight the greatest three-headed giant ever to exist, Satan, sin, and the grave. And Jesus, he didn't pick up a sword. He didn't pick up a slingshot. He picked up a cross and went to fight our battle and pay the price for our sins. The reality is we have all been frozen. Every human who's ever existed, frozen in fear and frozen in sin, not able to fight the enemy, Satan, not even able to fight the enemy within of sin. But Jesus, like David, was willing to come and fight the battle for us, amen? It appeared the enemy had won as Jesus lay in the grave, that Jesus was just another fatality of the ancient war between Satan and God and the people of God. But then Jesus, to the shock of all but heaven, three days later, Jesus got up. And he had defeated not just a giant, he had defeated the greatest giant the world has ever known, the three-headed monster of Satan, sin, and the grave. And when he came out of that grave, that three-headed monster went falling down to the ground. (laughs) He is defeated. And the reality is that Jesus is coming back Scripture says soon he's coming back and he doesn't need to pull out Satan's sword to cut his head off. He's coming back with the sword of his mouth. And just like the story of David and Goliath, the story will be over that quick. And Satan will be cast and vanquished into hell for eternity. So when Satan and his enemies, excuse me, Satan and his uh, compadres of demons try to taunt us and say, we got a big bag giant, we're gonna take you down. Remind them that The giant has been slain by the cross and empty grave of Jesus Christ. The giant has been conquered. He will sever Satan's head once and forever. So Christ, another difference between David and Jesus is David died in a grave. Jesus rose again and he lives forever. And because of that, forever gives us Hope. He is our reigning king. So our hope is not in a man. Our hope is in the risen savior, Jesus Christ. This is one reason, by the way, regardless of what happens Tuesday, I, am not, I, I refuse to be depressed about it. I refuse to be like, oh man, or, I don't care who's elected my savior. I do care, but my savior is, and my king is Jesus. And he never loses. <laughs> Amen? So we don't need to, oh man, what the... I got a king. He's not going anywhere. Amen. Listen to this. David's victory brought him riches. Remember what happens to the man who kills this king? Oh, you're going to get the king's, uh, sorry, kills this Goliath. You're going to get the king's daughter. You're going to get all these riches. David got riches in his victory. Jesus' victory brings us riches of grace 
and mercy and hope and peace with God and relationship with God, eternal life in heaven. Jesus' victory brings us riches. I wanna say this, if Jesus can take down that giant, three-headed monster of Satan, sin, and the grave, if he can take down that giant, he can take down any giant. So this is where like, we, can, we can get confusing and like, um, not we could, it has too often, like especially if you watch TV preachers, like it can get, which I guess technically we're on TV, so I shouldn't make fun of that, but anyways. Um, <laughs> this is not about, this story is not about, you know what, you take up those stones of faith and you conquer that giant of anxiety, you conquer that giant of depression. The reality is like, we miss a lot when we throw stones. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that great. Here's, here's the, the, the bigger picture here. That Jesus is the ultimate giant slayer and if he can knock down that giant, he can take down any giant. And as your king, your living, reigning king, he still fights for you. So the giant of depression or anxiety or temptation, the giant of hopelessness, the giant of despair, the giant of not knowing your future, whatever giant it is, Jesus says, hey, I took down the greatest giant you've ever faced. I can, I can handle those. I can, I'm gonna walk with you as you face those giants. And because of that, we don't live as victims. We live as victors because we know the ultimate victor, Jesus Christ. You with me? We don't live as victims. We live as victors because of Christ. Haddon, our two-year-old son, who did not really get to trick-or-treat last night because he was being terrible. <laughs> it's like me to make a two-year-old not trick-or-treat, but you should have been there, okay? <laughs> Anyways, he did get some candy, so don't feel, and he got some dried apricots, so I mean, life is good. <laughs> life is good. <laughs> um, we, we've read this story a lot and actually, I, maybe I'm like not smart, but I, I, I normally don't leave out the part about cutting De, uh, Goliath's head off. I'm like, he's a man, he can handle it, you know? Uh, but we read this story a lot. Carolina Tate likes it, but Haddon loves this story. Uh, and so what's happened is he often wants me or, or someone else to be a giant. He says monster, he kind of uses, uses those interchangeably, but he likes the word monster as well. But he'll say, like if we're standing over here, he'll say, dada be a monster, be a giant. And he wants to play David and Goliath because as soon as we do, he'll start to run around and he's like Jackie Chan, David, because he's like, hi-ya! <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, did David say hi-ya? Like, I don't remember reading that in the scripture, but he always like, hi-ya! <laughs> and, and what's funny is, is I'll no, normally I'll like, oh, you got me and I'll fall down and it's all good. And he's, you know, he's the giant, or he's the giant slayer. He's the victor, he's, he's David. And we reenact the story. But sometimes for fun, when he does his hi-ya, I'll, I'll act like I dodge it and I'll keep coming at him. And sometimes he'll go, no, dada, hi-ya. <laughs> and his, the, the reason he does that is he knows the story. He knows that, hey, dad, look, I threw the stone, you're the giant, you're supposed to fall. Like, that's how the story goes, bro. <laughs> Dad's like, you need to read the, the scripture again more. <laughs> he knows how the story goes. And so when I keep pursuing him, he's like, no, 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 you're down. Friends, 
we know how the story goes. That Jesus is our victor. So when the enemy, or life for that matter, comes at you like a giant, you throw stones not by saying, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm tough. I've been doing that self-therapy, I can do this. No, you throw stones by saying, no, excuse me, enemy, I remember this story and Jesus wins. (laughs) I remember the story and I have a victor. That's how you let the stones fly. Let them fly by remembering your victor. Amen? We're gonna sing a a song of response, but I just wanna say, after the service, if you would like some prayer, like to talk with someone about maybe some giants that you feel like you are facing, you'd like to talk with someone about what it means to trust Jesus as your savior, Richard and I will both be down here to talk with you. Or you can click connect if you're on southcrestlive.tv or shoot us a message if you're on Facebook. I I should mention, I feel like I maybe haven't been clear here yet, but the rest of the story, (laughs) the whole story is that what Romans says, we were all sinners, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in spite of our sin, In spite of our our rebellion against God, Jesus, God the Son, came, as David mentioned earlier, lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve, and rose again three days later, and in so doing, conquered that giant because that we can have a relationship with him. So if you're watching online or in the room, (laughs) simply you respond to that by turning from your sin and turning to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm gonna place my faith and hope and trust in you as the victor. I can't save myself, you are the victor. I'm gonna trust in you. I want you to be the king, the Lord of my life. I'll follow you. So if you make that decision, again, if you're online, click connect, shoot us a message, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you're here in the room, Richard and I after the service would love to pray with you and, and see what God's doing. What a cool story to hear that you've been brought from death to life by the salvation of Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing a song of response. It talks about how great our God really is. Lord, we come to you this morning praising you that you are big enough that you can use little people. (laughs) Not just little in stature, but little in hope, little in faith, little in trust. You still can use us. Thank you that you delight in using unqualified, ill-equipped people to show off how amazing you are. And God, May we, because of that, be confident in you, not confident in ourselves. May we realize that because of you, we're we're never in in an underdog situation. (laughs) May we always see you, our God, as bigger than whatever giant we face. And Lord, most importantly, may the story of David and Goliath always point us to your permanent victory over every giant. Namely, the cross and the empty grave. Lord, when the enemy attacks us and threatens us, may we remind ourselves 
of the rest of the story. The hope that we have in you. Because of that, God, may we live bold, courageous, daring lives for you and for your glory. Lord, I pray as we sing this song, we would just rejoice in the beautiful truth of how great you really are. We love you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 